Chapter Four of the Little Colonel's Christmas Vacation by Annie Fellows Johnston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Chapter Four. Keep tryst. Lloyd and Betty were starting to undress when there was a light tap at the door, and Gay's head appeared. In response to their eager call, she came in and shutting the door behind her stood with her back against it no i can't sit down she answered it's too late to stop i only ran in to tell you that maud got home about five minutes ago charlie came with her as far as the door and madam has just sent for her to demand an explanation she told her roommate that she knew she was in for a scolding and that as one might as well be killed for a sheep as a lamb she made her good time last as long as she could. After the matinee, they had a little supper at some roof garden or cafe or something of the kind, where there was a band concert. Then he brought her out on the car, and they strolled along the river road home. The moon was just beginning to come up. She's had a beautiful time and thinks she has done something awfully cute but she'll think differently by the time madam is through with her will she be very terrible asked lloyd pausing with brush in hand i don't know answered gay nothing like this has happened since i have been at the hall but i've heard her say that this is not a reform school and girls who have to be punished and scolded are not wanted here if they can't measure up to the standard of good behaviour they can't stay as long as this is the first offence she'll probably be given another trial but i'd not care to be in her shoes when madam calls her to judgment no one ever knew what passed between the two in the upstairs office but maud sailed down to breakfast next morning as if nothing had happened the only difference in her manner was when lloyd and gay took their places opposite her at the table they glanced across with the usual good morning but she looked past them as if she neither saw nor heard cut dead whispered lloyd gay giggled as she unfolded her napkin i'm very sure she has no cause to be angry with us we are the ones who ought to act offended soon after breakfast they were called into miss chilton's room but to their great relief found that she already knew what had happened and that they were to be questioned only about their own part in the affair so presently gay passed out to her latin recitation and lloyd wandered around the room waiting for the literature class to assemble miss chilton's room was the most attractive one in the hall it looked more like a cheerful library than a schoolroom low bookshelves lined the walls with here and there a fine bust in bronze or carrara marble pictures from many lands added interest and the wicker chairs instead of being arranged in stiff rows stood invitingly about as if in a private parlour there were always violets on miss chilton's desk and ferns and palms in the sunny south windows the recitations were carried on in such a delightfully informal way that the girls looked forward to this hour as one of the pleasantest of the day this morning to their surprise instead of questioning them about the topic they had studied romans of the middle ages 
she announced that she had a story which madame chartley had requested her to read to them and she wished such close attention paid to it that afterward each one could write it from memory for the next day's lesson i have a reason for wishing to impress this little tale indelibly on your minds she said so i shall offer this inducement for concentrating your attention upon it five credits to each one who can hand in a full synopsis of the story and ten to the one who can reproduce it most literally and fully there was a slight flutter of expectancy as the class settled itself to listen and opening the little green and gold volume where a white ribbon kept the place she began to read now there was a troubadour in the kingdom of arthur who strolling through the land with only his minstrelsy to win him away found in every baron's hall and cotter's hut a ready welcome and while the boar's head sputtered on the spit or the ale sparkled in the shining tankards he told such tales of joust and journey and feats of brave knight-errantry that even the scullions left their kitchen tasks and creeping near stood round the door with mouths agape to listen then with his harp-strings tuned to echoes of the wind on winter moors he sang of death and valour on the field of love and fealty in the hall till those who listened forgot all save his singing and the noble nights whereof he sang one winter night as thus he crawled in a great earl's hall a little page crept nearer to his bench beside the fire and with his blue eyes fixed in wonderment upon the greybeard's face stood spellbound now Ededin was the page's name an orphan lad whose lineage no man knew but that he came of gentle blood all eyes could see although as vassal twas his lot to wait upon the great earl's squire it was the yule-tide and the vassal bowl passed round till boisterous mirth drowned oftentimes the minstrel's song but ededin missed no word scarce knowing what he did he crept so close he found himself with upturned face against the old man's knee how now thou flaxen-haired the minstrel said with kindly smile dost like my song oh sire the youth made answer methinks on such a wing the soul could well take flight to paradise but tell me prithee is it possible for such as i to gain the title of a knight how doth one win such honours and acclaim and reach the high estate that thou dost laud the minstrel gazed a little space into the yule-log's flame and stroked his long hoar beard then made he answer some win their spurs and earn the royal accolade because the blood of dragons stains their hands from mighty combat with these terrors they come victorious to their king's reward and some there be sore scarred with conquest of the giants that ever prey upon the borders of our fair domain some who have gone on far crusades to alien lands and there with heart of gold and iron hand have proved their fealty to the crown then ededin sighed for well he knew 
his stripling form could never wage fierce combat with a dragon his hands could never meet the brawny grip of giants is there no other way he faltered i wot not was the answer but take an old man's counsel forget thy dreams of glory and be content to serve thy squire for what hast such as thou to do with great ambitions they prove but flames to burn away thy daily peace with that he turned to quaff the proffered bowl and add his voice to those whose mirth already shook the rafters nor had he any further speech with edidin but afterward the pretty lad was often in his thoughts and in his wanderings about the land he mused upon the question he had asked another twelve months sped its way and once again the yule log burned within the hall and once again the troubadour knocked at the gate all in the night and falling snow and as before with merry jests they led him in and made him welcome and as before was every mouth agape from squires to scullions as he sang once more he sang of knights and ladies fair of love and death and valour and edadin the page crept nearer to him till the harp-strings ceased to thrill with head upon his hands he sat and sighed not even when the vassail bowl was passed with mirth and laughter did he look up and when the grey-bird minstrel saw his grief he thought upon his question of the yule-tide gone ah now thou flaxen-haired he whispered in his ear i bear thee tidings which should make thee sing for joy there is a way for even such as thou to win the honours thou dost covet i heard it in the royal court when last i sang there at the king's behest then all quiver with his eagerness did edadin kneel with face alight beside the minstrel's knee to hear know this began the greybeard tis the king's desire to establish round him at his court a chosen circle whose fidelity hath stood the utmost test not deeds of prowess are required of these true followers with no great conquest doth he tax them but they must prove themselves trustworthy until on hand and heart it may be grave and large in all things faithful to merlin the enchanter he hath left the choice who by some strange spell i wot not of will send an eerie call through all the kingdom and only those will hear who wake at dawn to listen in high places and only those will heed who keep the compass needles of their souls true to the north star of a great ambition the time of testing will be long the summons many to duty and to sorrow to disappointment and defeat thou mayst be called no matter what the tryst there is but one reply if thou wouldst win thy knighthood give heed and i will teach thee now that answer then smiting on his harp the minstrel sang so softly under cover of the noise that only edadin heard through all the song ran ever this refrain it seemed a brooklet winding in and out through some fair meadow 
"'Tis the king's call, O list. Thou heart and hand of mine, keep tryst, keep tryst or die. Then Ederdin, with his hand upon his heart, made solemn oath. Awake at dawn, and listening in high places, will I await that call. With a compass needle of my soul, true to the north star of a great ambition, will I follow where it leads, and though through fire and flood it take me, I'll make but this reply. Tis the king's call, O list. Thou heart and hand of mine, keep tryst, keep tryst or die. Pressing the old man's hand in gratitude, he could say no word for the strange fullness in his throat that well nigh choked him. He rose from his knees and left the hall to muse on what had passed. That night he climbed into the tower, and with his face turned to the east, kept vigil all alone. Below the rioters waxed louder in their mirth. The knife was in the meat, the drink was in the horn, but he would not join their revels, lest morning find him sunk in sodden sleep, heavy with feasting and witless from wine. As grey dawn trailed across the hills, he started to his feet, for far away sounded the call for which he had been waiting. It was like the faint blowing of an elfin horn, but the words came clearly. Ededin, Ededin, one awaits thee at nightfall in the shade of the yew tree by the abbey tower. Keep tryst. Now the abbey tower was the space of forty furlongs from the domain of the earl, and full well Ederdin knew that only by a special favour of his squire could he gain leave of absence for this jaunt. So from sunrise until dusk he worked with will to gain the wished-for leave. Never before did buckles shine as did the buckles of the squire entrusted to his polishing never did menial tasks cease sooner to be drudgery because of the good will with which he worked and when the day was done so well had every duty been performed right willingly the squire did grant him grace and forthwith ederdin sped upon his mission the way was long and when he reached the abbey tree he fell a trembling for there a tall wrath stood within the shadows of the yew. No face had it that he could see, its hands no substance, but he met it bravely, saying, I am Ededin, come to keep the king's tryst. And then the spectre's voice replied, Well hast thou kept it, for tis known to me the many menial tasks thou didst perform ere thou couldst come upon thy quest. In token that we too have met, here is my pledge that thou mayst keep to show the king. He felt a light touch on the bosom of his inner vestment, and suddenly he stood alone beside the gruesome abbey. Clammy with fear, he knew not why, he drew his mantle round him and sped home as one speeds in a fearsome dream and that it was a dream he half believed 
when later in the hall he served at meat those gathered round the old earl's board but when he sought his bed and threw aside his outer garment there on his coarse rough shirt of hooden grey a pearl gleamed white above his heart where the wrath's cold hand has touched him it was the token to the king that he had answered faithfully his call again before the dawn he climbed into the tower and listening when the voices of the world were still heard clear and sweet like far-blown elfin horn another summons ededin ededin one awaits thee at the midnight hour beside black kilgore's water keep tryst again to gain his squire's permission he toiled with double care this time his task was counting all the spears and halberds the battle-axes and the coats of mail that filled the earl's great armament and over and over he counted keeping careful tally with a bit of keel upon the iron-banded door till the red lines that he marked there made his eyes ache and his head swim at last the task was finished and so well the squire praised him and for his faithfulness again was fain to speed him on his way it was a woeful journey for the waters of kilgore sleep weighed on edadin's eyelids and haltingly he went the weary miles footsore and worn but midnight found him on the spot where one awaited him another wrath-like envoy of the king and it too left a touch upon his heart in token he had kept the tryst and when he looked another pearl gleamed there beside the first so many a day went by and edadin failed not in his homely tasks but carried to his common round of duties all his might as if they were great feats of prowess thus gained he liberty to keep the tryst with every messenger the king did send once he fared forth along a dangerous road that led he knew not where and when he found it crossed a loathly swamp all filled with slime and creeping things fain would he have fled but pushing on for sake of his brave oath although with fainting heart he reached the goal at last this time his token made him wonder much for when he wakened from his swoon a shining star lay on his heart above the pearls now it fell out the squire to whom this edadin was page was killed in conflict with a robber band and edadin for his faithfulness was taken by the earl to fill that squire's place soon after that they left the hall and journeyed on a visit to a distant lord twas to the castle of content they came where was a joyous garden and now no menial tasks employed the new squire's time here was he free to wander all the day through vistas of the joyous garden or loiter by the fountain in the courtyard and watch the maidens at their tasks having fair speech with them among the flowers and one there was among them so lily-like in face so gentle-voiced and fair that edadin well-nigh forgot his oath 
and felt full glad when for a space the king's call ceased to sound and gladder was he still when later on the earl's long visit done he left young ederdin behind to serve the great lord of the castle for so the two friends had agreed since ederdin had pleased the old lord's fancy yet was he faithful to his vow and failed not every dawn to mount to some high place when all the voices of the world were still and listen for the sound of merlin's horn one morn it came ederdin ederdin one waits thee far away by the black cave of atropos when the moon fulls keep thy tryst now twas a seven days journey to that cave and ederdin thinking of the lily maid was loath to leave the garden he lingered by the fountain until nightfall saying to himself why should i go on longer in these foolish quests keeping tryst with shadows that vanish at the touch no nearer am i to a knight's estate than when a stripling page i listen to the minstrel's tales the fountain softly splashed within the garden from out the banquet hall there stole the sound of tinkling lutes and then the lily maiden sang her siren voice filled all his heart and he forgot his oath to duty but presently a star reflected in the fountain made him look up into the jewelled sky where shone the polar constellation and there he read the oath he had forgotten with a compass needle of my soul true to the north star of my great ambition i will follow where it leads thrusting his fingers in his ears to silence the beloved voice of her who sang he madly rushed from out the garden into the blackness of the night the castle of content clanged its great gate behind him he shivered as he felt the jar through all his frame but never taking out his fingers on he ran till scores of furlongs lay between him and the tempting of that siren voice it was a strange and fearsome wood that lay between him and the cave all things seemed moaning and afraid he saw no forms but everywhere the shadows shuddered and, and moans and groans pursued him till nameless fears clutched at his heart with icy chill then suddenly the earth slipped way beneath his feet and cold waves closed above his head he knew now he had fallen in the pool that lies upon the far edge of the fearsome wood a pool so deep and of such whirling motion that only by the fiercest struggle may one escape gladly he would have allowed the waters to close over him such cold pains smote his heart had he not seemed to hear the old minstrel's song it aroused him to a final effort and he gasped between his teeth tis the king's call o list thou heart and hand of mine keep tryst keep tryst or die with that in one mighty struggle he dragged himself to land a bow-shot farther on he saw the cave and by sheer force of will crept 
toward it. What happened then he knew not till the moon rose full and high above him. Her form swathed all in black bowed over him. Ededin, she sighed, here is thy token that the king may know that thou hast met me face to face. He thought it was a diamond at first that sparkled there beside the star, but when he looked again, lo, nothing but a tear. Then went he back unto the joyous garden by slow degrees, for he was now sore spent. And after that the summons came full often, whenever all the world seemed loveliest and life most sweet, then was the call most sure to come. But never once he faltered, never was he faithless to the king's behest. Up weary mountain steps he toiled to find the sombre face of disappointment there in waiting, and suffering and pain were often at his journey's end, and once a sore defeat. But bravely, as the months went by, he learned to smile into their eyes, no matter which one handed out to him the pledge of duty well performed. One day, when he no longer was a beardless youth, but grown to pleasing stature and of great brawn, he heard the hoped-for call of which he long had dreamt. Ededin, Ededin, the king himself awaits thee. Midsummer morn at lark song, keep tryst beside the palace gate. As travellers on the desert spent and worn, see far across the sand the palm-tree screen that marks life-giving wells, so Ededin hailed this summons to the king. The soul-consuming thirst that long had urged him on grew fiercer as the well of consummation came inside. Hope shod his feet with wings, as thus with every nerve a strain he pushed toward the final tryst. So fearful was he, some mishap might snatch the cup away ere it had touched his thirsty lips that three full days before the time he reached the vale of avalon and sat him down outside the entrance to the palace now there came prowling through the wood that edged the fair domain the gnarled dwarfs that do the will of shadowwane and shadowwane of all the giants thereabouts most cruel was and to be feared knowing full well what pleasure it would give the bloody monster these dwarfs laid evil hands on ededin sleeping they found him and bound him with hard leathern thongs and then with jibes and impish laughter dragged him into a dungeon past the help of man two days and nights he lay there raging at fate and his helplessness till he was well-nigh mad bethinking him of all his baffled hopes and like a madman gnawed he on the leathern thongs till he was free and beat his hands against the stubborn rock that would not yield and threw himself against the walls that held him in the dwarfs from time to time peered through the slatted window overhead and mocked him pointing with their crooked thumbs ha ha thou'lt keep no tryst they chattered but if thou'lt swear upon thy oath to go back to the joyous garden and hark no more for merlin's call 
we'll let thee loose from out this dungeon of thy disappointment then was edidin tempted for the dungeon was foul indeed and his heart cried out to go back to the lily maiden but once more in his ears he thrust his fingers and cried to the king's call alone i list o heart and hand of mine keep tryst keep tryst or die on the third night with a quiet of despair he threw him prone upon the dungeon floor and held his peace no longer gnawing on his thongs or beating on the rock a single moonbeam straggled through the slatted window and by its light he saw a spider spinning out a web then looking dully around he saw the dungeon was hung thick with other webs foul with the dust of years great festoons of the cobweb film shrouded his prison walls as up and down the hairy creature swung itself upon its thread the hopeless eyes of ederdin followed it all in a twinkling he saw how he might profit by the spider's teaching and clapped his hand across his mouth to keep from shouting out his joy so that the dwarfs could hear now once more like a madman rushing at the walls he tore down all the dusty webs and twisted them together in long strands these strands he braided in thick ropes and tied them knotting them and twisting and doubling once again all the while he kept bewailing the stupid way in which he wasted time three days ago i might have quit this den he sighed had i but used the means that lay at hand full well i knew that heaven always finds a way to help the man who helps himself no creature lives too mean to be of service and even dungeon walls must harbour help for him who boldly grasps the first thing that he sees and makes it serve him so fast and furiously he worked that long before the moonbeam faded his cobweb rope was strong enough to bear his weight and long enough to reach twice over to the slatted window overhead by many trials he at last succeeded in throwing it around the spike that barred the window and climbing up he forced the slats apart and clambered through then tying the rope's end to the window he slid down all the dizzy cliff-side in which the dwarfs had dug the dungeon and dropped into the stream that ran below lo when he looked around him it was dawn midsummer morn it was and plunging through the wood he heard the lark's song rise and reached the palace gate just as it opened to the blare of trumpets for the king's train to ride forth when ederdin saw the royal cavalcade he shrunk back into the wayside bushes so ill-befitting did it seem that he should come before the king in tattered garments with blood upon his hands where the sharp rocks had cut and with foul dungeon stains but that the king might know he'd ever proven faithful he sank upon his knees and bared his breast at his approach there all the pledges glistened in the sunlight in rainbowed hues their pain had dropped her heart's blood in a glittering ruby and honour set her seal upon him in a golden star 
A diamond gleamed where sorrow's tear had fallen, and amethysts glowed now with purple splendor to mark his patient meeting with defeat. But mostly were the pledges little pearls for little duties, faithfully performed, and there they shone. And as the people gazed, they saw the jewels take the shape of letters, so that the king read out before them all, Semper Fidelis. Then threw the king his royal sword, and lightly smote on Edidin's shoulder and cried, arise sir knight sir edidin the trusty since i may trust thee to the utmost in little things as well as great since thou of all men art most worthy henceforth by thy king's heart thou shalt ride ever to be his faithful guard and comrade so there before them all he did him honour and ordered that a prancing steed be brought and a good sword buckled on his side thus edidin won his sovereign's favour soon by his sovereign's grace permitted he went back to the joyous garden to woo the lily maiden when he had won his bride and borne her to the palace then was his great reward complete for all his years of fealty to his vow then out into the world he went to guard his king henceforth blazoned on his shield and helmet he bore the crest a heart with hand that grasped a spear and underneath these words i keep the tryst slipping the white ribbon back between the pages to mark the place miss chilton laid the little green and gold volume on the table and smiled at the circle of attentive faces i am sure you understand why i have read this story she said it is the motto of the school tradition has it that sir edidin was an ancient member of madame chartley's family at any rate it has borne his crest for many many generations and there could be no better motto for a school the world expects us to do certain things we must keep tryst with these expectations you all know what happened yesterday madame looks for a certain course of conduct from her girls she does not make rules she only expects what the inborn instinct of a true lady would prompt you to do or to be i'm sure that after this explanation none of you will fail to keep tryst with her expectations that was the only public reference to maud's escapade she left the room with a very red face when the class was dismissed the little story put her so plainly in the wrong before the other girls that it made her cross and uncomfortable every member of the class had five marks to her credit and betty was the lucky one whose almost literal reproduction of the story gave her ten she copied it all down in her white record afterward adding a verse that she had once seen in an autograph album life is a rosary strung with the beads of little deeds done humbly lord as unto thee she repeated the verse aloud to lloyd i'd like to make that kind of a rosary i'd like to act out that story it just strikes my fancy it would be such a satisfaction to lay aside a token each night as edidin did that i had kept tryst with duty 
had perfect lessons or lived through a day just as nearly right as i possibly could she went on writing after she had made the remark but lloyd pleased by the thought sat staring at the lamp it was nearly bedtime and presently putting aside her book she rose and crossed over to the bureau in a sandalwood box in the top drawer was a broken fan chain of white beads tiny roman pearls that she had bought in a shop in the via crucia she had intended to string them sometime mixing with them here and there some curious blue beads she had seen made at a glass-blower's in venice large blue ones with tiny roses on the sides betty busy with her diary did not notice how long lloyd stood with her back toward her pouring the little roman pearls from one hand to the other it seems almost babyish lloyd was saying to herself but other girls keep memory books and such things and this is such a pretty idea no one need know yes i'll begin the rosary this very night for every lesson was perfect to-day and i truly tried my best in everything hesitating an instant longer she rummaged through the drawer for a piece of fine white silk cord which she remembered having placed there when she found it she knotted one end securely and then slowly slipped one little pearl bead down against the knot there she thought with a hasty glance over her shoulder at betty as she dropped the string back into its box there's one token that i've kept tryst even if i never earn any more i'm going to have that string half full by vacation end of chapter four read by lars rolander